Good morning and welcome back again, coffee and book lovers. We are continuing on in our literary saga, Coffee, A Connoisseur's Companion by Claudia Rodin. We are nearing the end of chapter one and I am near the bottom of page 37. Let's continue. Since sugar is boiled at the same time as the coffee, guests are always asked their preference. Whether they would like it sweet, helu or sukarziada, medium, nasbot, or unsweetened, mura, and they are served accordingly. The sweetness of the drink is sometimes determined by the occasion. At a happy one, such as a wedding or a birthday, it is served sweet, while at a funeral it must be drunk without any sugar at all. In Turkey, at one time, a man promised when he married never to let his wife go without coffee. Good man and it was considered a legitimate cause for divorce if he neglected to do so. So important is coffee in Oriental life that it is common for beggars to ask for money to buy it. It is inconceivable that they should go without. Business and bargaining are always done over a cup of coffee served before the argument starts. Whether in a shop or a market stall, it creates a bond and an obligation between buyer and seller. Some people drink up to 25 cups a day, but these are so small, sometimes thimble-sized, that they do not amount to too much. The habit of the coffee house, coffee house is one that has required a certain leisure. Ceremony, too, has been required in the coffee houses of the Levant, where customers often sip their water, and sometimes an argile, or water pipe, while waiting, for the service takes time. Only men go to the resorts of the lower orders. Some bring their own pipe and tobacco, and sometimes hashish. The coffee shop owner keeps two or three nargales, which are used for both tobacco and hashish. Customers have to wait their turn. Etiquette prevails. A newcomer salutes each person on entering a crowded coffee room and is saluted in return. In the past, it was usual for the entire company to rise when an old man entered and to yield him inside the corner chair. Such courtesies take time, and one sometimes has to wait for the beans to be roasted and milled. In early Arabia, Burkhardt relates that respectable people were never seen in a coffee shop, but they were always filled with the lower classes and seafarers. An Arab who could not afford to ask a friend to dine would invite him to the coffee shop when he saw him pass, and would be highly offended if the invitation was rejected. The waiter, in presenting the coffee to the guest, would cry aloud for all to hear, Jabba, or Gratis. These ways have been spread by the Ottomans throughout their old empire around the Mediterranean shores. Today, in Cyprus, a man sitting in a coffee shop will call to passers-by Copiaste, inviting them to join him. If you happen to be in a strange village and sit in a coffee shop, you will probably find that your coffee has been paid for by someone else. As children, we were usually afraid of the scenes that occurred when the heads of families, enjoying a coffee and cake together, fought to pay everyone's bill. It is still the greatest honor to the host. Very little of the Oriental ceremony has been retained on our Western breakfast tables. But our casual entertaining is still over a cup of coffee and a degree of ritual is needed if it is to be properly made. The care we take in serving, be it in hand-warming bowls or elegant cups accompanied by coffee cakes, and the little rituals and courtesies of coffee time may not change its virtues, 
but they do add to its enjoyment. Chapter 2. Cultivation. The Coffee Tree. One of the peculiarities of the coffee tree is that the fruit ripens several times a year. Another is that it bears at the same time both blossom and berries, also called cherries, at various stages of maturity. The entire style of the coffee trade is governed by this caprice of nature. If the cherries are allowed to grow overripe, the beans inside are spoiled. If they are unripe, the beans will not ripen once picked. So pickers of quality coffees must return to the same tree time and time again to pick only the ripe cherries. An inordinate amount of labor for the two pound of clear green beans, which is an average yearly yield for one tree. Bear it in mind when you next buy coffee. There are more economical labor-saving methods of harvesting favored by the growers of cheaper coffees, but they result in inferior, harsher-tasting grades burdened by impurities. In many parts of Africa, trees are shaken and berries picked from the ground before they are injured or rotten. In the greater part of Brazil, where the lower-priced coffees are produced, branches are stripped of everything at once, leaves, flowers, overripe and underripe cherries, the mutilated trees take two years to recover from the savage treatment. A coffee tree is a rare, magnificent sight when it breaks out into a fragile and delicate white blossom, its fragrance as intoxicating as that of the orange and the jasmine which it resembles. It may bloom alone like a young bride or with the whole farm a swaying sea of white petals, as beautiful as they are ephemeral. For in two or three days they will have fluttered off the bough leaving their perfume to linger only a while longer. Soon, tiny clusters of cherries appear, green at first, then yellow, red, and deep crimson. When they are almost black, they are ready to pick. In Jamaica, bats are the first to know when the fruit is ripe. Their nightly sucking of the sweet pulp is a signal for the farmers to start harvesting. The oval berries sit in tight bunches, hugging the branches from which the long, polished, dark green, lance-shaped leaves sprout in pairs. These are firm, but softer and paler on the underside, and scalloped toward the edges. Branches also grow two by two on opposite sides of the trunk. The evergreen trees are usually grown from seed in nursery beds, and transferred after a year to the plantation ground, in exactly the same way as the Arabs first raised and cultivated the plants. For the first four or five years of its life, the coffee tree is too busy growing roots and building a strong, straight trunk and an umbrella of branches to bear a crop of beans. It will usually only produce a full crop in its sixth year and continue until the fifteenth year when the yield declines. Left to nature, it would grow to a height of 14 to 20 feet, and some even to 40 feet. Apart from the regions where they are allowed to grow wild, they are generally kept pruned to a height of six feet to make picking easier and to reserve their strength for producing beans. We are leaving off here today in the middle of page 43 on chapter two about coffee trees. Join me again next morning for some more coffee and books. Thank you.